Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Dr. Jeffrey K. Leica is an esteemed retired professor of industrial and operations engineering at the University of Michigan, and he's widely recognized as a leading authority on the Toyota Way. As the president of Leica Lean Advisors, a network of exceptional practitioners, he offers consulting, coaching, and training services based on Toyota's principles. In 2004, Jeff authored the international best-selling The Toyota Way 14 Management Principles from the World's Greatest Manufacturer. This influential book has sold over 1.2 million copies in 26 languages and continues to shape organisations worldwide. Jeff's commitment to sharing knowledge led him to write numerous other books on Toyota, including The Toyota Way Field Book, The Toyota Product Development System, Toyota Talent, Toyota Culture, The Toyota Way to Continuous Improvement, Toyota Under Fire, The Toyota Way to Lean Leadership, and finally, The Toyota Way to Service Excellence. Jeff's books have garnered prestigious awards such as 12 Shingo Prizes for Research Excellence, the 2005 Institute of Industrial Engineers Book of the Year Award, and the 2007 Sloan Industry Studies Book of the Year. Moreover, in 2012, he was inducted into the Association of Manufacturing Excellence Hall of Fame in recognition for his outstanding contributions. Now, apart from his academic pursuits, Jeff actively engages in Leica Lean Advisors, where he provides coaching, seminars and consulting services rooted into the Toyota Way principles. He is a highly sought after keynote speaker, having presented to renowned companies such as Caterpillar, Ford and many more. Jeff's most recent venture is the co-authored novel Giving Wings to Her Team, written alongside Tilo Schwartz. This captivating book delves into the journey of Denise, a character who refines her coaching skills in nurturing scientific thinking. With his expertise, extensive publications and significant contributions to the field of lean management, Dr. Leica serves as an influential figure inspiring individuals and organisations worldwide to adopt the Toyota Way principles for continuous improvement and success. Today, we are absolutely privileged to have Dr. Leica join us here on the Everseline podcast. During our conversation, he will provide valuable insights into the Toyota Kata, explaining how it fits within Toyota's broader management principles and how each component complements the other to foster development of more effective organisations. Additionally, Jeff will give us the -the behind-the-scenes glimpse into his latest co-authored novel. We officially have Toyota royalty in the building. Welcome to the Eversaline podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Matt. Great to join you. It's so good to have you here. We have officially got Toyota Royalty with us in the room. Just the amount of books that you've written. And when I talk to people in the continuous improvement industry here in the UK, and I mention your name, everybody knows who you are. Like you're famous. I guess so. Somebody said I'm extremely famous within a very small, narrow segment of society. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way of looking at it, actually. You're famous within your remit. Right. But the amount of people this that these days, right, that are famous and they're famous for nothing. They're famous just for being a personality or something. It's good to be famous for something that actually brings benefit to people. 
Right, I agree. And the expanded production system is very practical. It's amazing. It blows my mind. I've actually employed people in the past who came from Toyota and they would talk about it and you would kind of take it with a pinch of salt. But the more people I've employed, they've come along and said the same thing and then the same thing and then the same thing. So you start to think this must be real. This must be actually how it's done. Well, you also have hands-on experience yourself doing it. Yeah, absolutely. But never, I've never been to a Toyota factory. That's the one I am oh, I missing. It's one, I think you can do tours, can't you? You actually go to their sites and have a look around. You can. At the Toyota plant in the UK, in Bernston, they have, I think, once a month, they have a full-day tour. Right, that's on my bucket list. One of the best tours you can go to in the world for, uh, to see a Toyota plant. You can sign up online. I'm definitely going to look into that because I think that would be amazing to go and do. Tell us a little bit about you then. You're such an interesting person. I'd love to know sort of what drives you and, and how you've got to where you are. Well, going back in history, <laughs> and I don't want to go too far back or too deep, but I got an undergraduate degree in industrial engineering. And as an undergraduate, you know, young kid, I was really fascinated by psychology and sociology. And what interested me about industrial engineering was that it claimed, at least in the handbook that I read, that it was about the integration of people, machines, materials, uh, and systems. So I liked the fact that people were in there. When I actually started taking the courses, there were no people in any of the courses. It was all mathematics or looking at the person like a machine, like a technical part of the technical system. But I worked for a company that uh, had a dog food plant. They made gains and gravy drain dog food. And they're using something called socio-technical systems theory that was trying to integrate the people and the technology and this automated equipment that made the dog food. And I found that fascinating. And I ended up writing papers in my industrial engineering courses based on you know, what I learned in this company. Then I got interested enough that I started taking sociology courses and got a PhD in sociology thought I had left behind industrial engineering forever. <laughs> and then when in a very bad job market in uh, 1981, 82, there was an opening in the industrial engineering department at University of Michigan for someone who had an undergraduate degree in engineering and a PhD in social behavioral science. It's perfect. And I think I was <laughs> the only person on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, actually they've been looking for like three years and they were about to close out the uh, position thinking they couldn't find anybody. And I called him in April, which was pretty late for an academic job. And this guy said, I don't didn't think someone like you existed. I'm about to go to China. He was a department chair. I'm about to go to China. Could you uh, call me back in the fall sometime and maybe start in January? And I said, I'll be unemployed by then. And anyway, so I ended up getting an assistant professor job at University of Michigan, which is a great university in industrial engineering as the only person ever who had this weird background then getting there and i'm at university of michigan like a dream job and realizing i have no idea what i'm supposed to be doing <laughs> uh, imposter syndrome imposter syndrome right exactly so then i people started coming to me because i had this unusual background and they they were looking at the social impact of technology and they wanted somebody from engineering as part of the project so they would contact me and there was a U.S.-Japan auto study, and they were excited that there was somebody who was, uh, understood how to study study things empirically and management systems that uh, was in the engineering school. So they almost immediately asked me to be part of the U.S.-Japan study. I got involved in a lot of different studies. So to me, it was just one of a number of different opportunities I took just to kind of figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up and you know, became a <laughs> professor of industrial engineering. And it turned out the obviously the uh, U.S. Japan study is what really got my attention and interest, and there was uh, a lot of opportunity. And then it took me a while to kind of figure out Toyota's different from the other Japanese automakers, and it took me several years. But uh, then I got an opportunity to uh, consult to Ford when they were creating the Ford production system based on the Toyota production system, which I actually didn't know a lot about, but. Uh, they thought I did. So I was a <laughs> professor at University of Michigan. <laughs> so I got to kind of learn a lot. They had hired former Toyota people to help consult with them. And I, I learned a lot in, in the process of trying to explain to Ford what Toyota was doing. I had to figure out what Toyota was doing. <laughs> anyway, and it just kind of get, went on and on from there. Eventually, I was asked to write the Toyota Way by a publisher who had a series. And from their point of view, they had a series that was blank way, and they had the McKinsey way and the GE way and the Marine way. Mm -hmm. And 
and how the editor had said, maybe the next good thing to put in the blank is Toyota. And they got my name <laughs> and contacted me and said, would you be interested in running the Toyota way? It instantly made sense to me because I had been doing consulting. At, by that point, I had written several articles in Harvard Business Review, which is a very practitioner-oriented, you know, executive-oriented journal. And you have to write for practitioners, for real people, not for other PhDs. And I just felt all that I'd learned couldn't really fit into an academic peer-reviewed article. And this is an opportunity to just say what I learned and believed from all these different experiences and uh, not be edited by anybody. Yes, of course. And that's what I did. So, uh, and the Toyota Way took off immediately. It was like a bestseller within months. And uh, that then the rest is kind of history. It's, a, it's almost like it was meant to be. It all just fell into place for you, particularly at the very beginning with this job with your background. Yeah. Incredible. I think a lot of things in retrospect sound like they were meant to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at the time, I'm sure it didn't. Even though they were really very accidental. <laughs> Do you know, I, I've found through my career that every time I've tried to move away from responsibility or move away from things that I fancy doing something different, Continuous improvement catches me back up, <laughs> and then I ended up back with it again every single time. Well, that's you know what happened to me, and I think the uh, what it appealed to me about Toyota was this idea of a socio-technical system. When I was looking at the dog food plant, they had what they called self-directed work teams. They were running the technology, complex automated technology. And they were production workers, but they're running the technology, given lots of responsibility, and they had to be taught how to work as a team. But the real innovation was that we give this to the team, we train the team on how to work together, we teach about social dynamics of groups and leadership, and then they just go off and do it. So in a sense, there was nothing very socio-technical about it. It was more like a social innovation stuck into a technical environment, whereas the Toyota production system with just-in-time and and on, you pull cords and lights are going on, and then you teach people problem solving on the floor at the source, and they are solving these problems and continuously improving and very engaged and involved with not just doing the work, but improving how they do the work. That, to me, was real integration of a technical system and a social system. And it was the first I'd seen. It was like, you know, I was really interested in it, then I kind of lost interest for a while, and then suddenly wow, this is what I was looking for for the last 10 years. <laughs> it was just there. And it actually exists. Yeah. I didn't think it did exist. So that really excited me. Uh, and it was all real. It, it, there's real business goals. And you have people working, for example, to take waste out of their own processes, reduce the amount of time it takes to do their job, take on additional tasks say, on an assembly line. And eventually, somebody's job is eliminated. And they celebrate. That's just so, so different. Because that person doesn't lose their job. They probably get a promotion, a more interesting job as a result. Like, uh, for example, on a continuous improvement team. And you have these people so focused on really what matters for the business, but they get joy out of it. They get enthusiasm out of it. And they care about the workplace. And they care about the company. If the company does well, they believe they will do well. So there's this kind of a harmony. I mean, it sounds almost... Uh, too good to be true and utopian and all that, but there is a sort of harmony. At the same time, people are working very hard, and these are like one minute, one and a half minute repeating jobs. They're pretty boring in that sense, but uh, you know, they're, once you get in the habit, you're thinking about other things. And the day kind of goes by pretty fast. So that culture, I mean, it's mind blowing because it's it goes so against what people think people will think when they do continuous improvement. They think, well, if I'm going to take this process out, I'm not going to have a job anymore, so I'm not going to do that. Whereas it's the total opposite in Toyota. Have you found that the mentality and the culture is different in different countries? Yeah. So the originally all the production was in Japan, and then there were a few pioneer sites. One of them was in the United States. And when they set up their first assembly plant in the United States, they decided that they should partner with General Motors uh, or an American company. It turned out to be General Motors. And they took over a plant uh, in California that General Motors had abandoned because of terrible quality and <laughs> wildcat strikes by the workers and extreme conflict between management and the union. And uh, General Motors said, well, we've got this plant in California. It's kind of convenient to Japan. And we closed it down, but we could reopen it. If we do, we have to bring back the United Auto Workers Union. And we have to hire back 80% of the people who worked here before or offer to hire them back if they are willing to come. It had been a few years. So Toyota agreed to all that. 
And they thought GM knows what they're doing because they are an American company, at least in terms of infrastructure, in terms of supply base, in terms of accounting systems, that sort of thing. The agreement was Toyota would run it the way they run a plant in Japan. The Toyota people were smart enough to know that they couldn't just sort of drop these people into the plant and put in their technical system and expect it to work. They needed to put a huge investment in developing these people and teaching them. So the first thing they did is everybody who they hired back, they brought to Japan. Wow. For the management, it could be a couple of weeks, but for the workers, it was for a week. And when you went to Japan, you didn't sit in a classroom and get lectured to. You went on the floor and you did the jobs. And they tried to match them up to similar jobs they had done for General Motors. And they could experience the Toyota production system firsthand by doing it. Then they brought them back to California and they sent over hundreds, literally hundreds of Japanese whose job was to be trainers and coordinators, they called them, for the executives. And everybody had a coach, not the workers, but the super frontline supervisors and all the management had personal coaches. And you expect, you know, how long is that going to last? Weeks? Well, it was years. Wow. So for years, you had a personal mentor who's teaching you, for example, how to weld, but also they're teaching you the Toyota production system part of the Toyota production system is standardized work, having a standardized process, repeatable process for doing the work. And they're teaching why that's important. They're teaching you that your job is not to just to follow the standard work, but to come up with ideas to improve upon it. And when you come up with an idea, it will become part of the standard work that everybody will have to follow when they do this job. The workers were kind of blown away by it. They were first blown away just by being in Japan. And a typical reaction was, this is the way manufacturing should be. And we're so far behind in the U.S., but I want to prove that we as Americans can work just as hard and as well as the Japanese. So it was a kind of a pride thing that came up. Yeah. And in fact, they even hired back the union leader, who's the union leader for this militant union. And he comes back from Japan and he stands up on a table and he says, we have another chance. And the most important thing for the Toyota production system is everybody have to, has to show up to work on time. Because every job has to be staffed, and we don't have extra people. And he says, if you don't show up on time, I'm not going to wait for management to write you up. I'm going to write you up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. And usually, a management writes you up, and then the union protests, and there's these grievances. And they, they had zero grievances for several years. It's remarkable. So it became this really, you know, really experiment and cooperative thing. And then they opened a plant in Kentucky, and it was a purely Toyota plant. But they also sent in hundreds of people to train them, and they created a culture. But the Japanese were there almost like anthropologists. Their job was to teach them how to do the jobs, you know, the technical jobs, because there's welding and there's stamping and there's painting and assembly, but to teach them the Toyota way of problem solving and the way of thinking. But they were told, you have to learn, understand the American culture enough to figure out how to adapt to that culture. So the Japanese are coming over here, you know, buying baseball caps and trying to figure out, you know, how to act like an American, be like an American. And they had Americans in the key positions like human resource management. And it was like an anthropological study <laughs> where they're sort of studying, how does this work with these like natives the in America? <laughs> and what do we have to adapt and what can we keep the same? What's a great approach. And they figured it out. And then they, uh, as they colonized essentially with their plants all over the world, in each case, they did the same thing with less people being sent over, less Japanese being sent over. And then they had this mother plant concept where you have a plant that's the mother of the child. So the mother plants were first in Japan, but then they had enough plants in the U.S. that, for example, the Canadian plant, the Kentucky plant could be mother plants for new plants that they opened. And in Europe, they did the same thing. So it was really very organic you, know, you grow the culture and then the people who learn the culture then teach the next group of people who are more similar to them in their region. It's like a train-the-trainer type model. It was a train-the-trainer, but a train-the-trainer not just in doing the job, but in the culture. What a great approach, because that would in inspire people. You know, They've had this opportunity to go to Japan and to see it firsthand, learn this new way of working. If that was me, that would really inspire me to go and do my best at this job and, and really get underneath it. And it sounds like it did an amazing impact. Surprising other companies don't do something similar. Well, it's a big investment, and it's a shift in thinking. I was talking to a guy from General Motors who had gone to this plant in California, and he became an executive there. And it just totally changed his way of thinking. 
And I was asking him, his name is Mark Hogan. He actually died recently, but he was recently put on the board of directors of Toyota in Japan because they respected him so much. So I'm talking to Mark Hogan and asking, if you had described the Toyota way to somebody, what would you say? And he said, think about a machine that's doing work in a factory. If I were General Motors, I would draw a circle around the machine and I would say, this machine has to operate. It's going to make my product. And then outside of the circle would be a person. And their job is to watch the machine and fix it if it breaks and tend the machine. So they're kind of serving the machine. But really what matters is the machine. He said, if I was in a Toyota plant, right in the center of the circle would be the person. And the machine would be serving the person. But that's that idea that people are in the center, even in an automated environment, in welding, in painting, Toyota uses robots. There's very few people doing work, so it's very automated. But they still think of people in the center because they have to maintain the machines. There are some jobs for them, like some inspection jobs or some jobs feeding parts into some sort of a fixture that the robot picks out of. But they're there to watch the robot, understand the robot. They talk about using all your senses so that you can sense that the robot has a problem before it occurs. And then you can do repairs preventatively before they occur. And they'll have robots that, according to the manufacturer, are 10 years beyond their expiration date. And they're working at like 98% of the time, uptime. And you'll see new robots in American factories that are working like 60% of the time. Wow. Toyota need to get into the space race. They need to create a rocket and send it to Mars. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Elon Musk is that's, doing a that's good the job next of that. step. Right. So the, the Toyota Cutter, this is a question that I get frequently, at least two or three times a week. I'm being asked what the Toyota Cutter is. Now, my understanding is that the Toyota Cutter focuses on developing scientific thinking. Right. What do you mean by scientific thinking and how does it relate to the broader management principles of Toyota? Okay. So in the uh, Toyota way, I talked about a four P model, four words that start with P. And the first is philosophy. And the philosophy is long-term systems thinking and thinking about this, like I said, as a social and technical system. And the people are very important and central. The next P is process, and they want lean processes, and the concept there is one-piece flow. The next operation is our customer who make just what they want in the amount they want, when they want it, with perfect quality. We present it to them the way they want it presented, uh, so we're thinking about them as a customer, and we're not building extra inventory. We're not building waste. The third P is people, and what people do is they observe when the process fails because the process is never perfect. So there's always many different ways it fails. There's quality defects, there's missing parts, there's late parts, there's somebody drops a part on the floor while they're assembling the car, somebody takes a little extra time because they weren't trained right. Uh, so there's always various things that go wrong. But Toyota is saying, we know that this system is going to fail. We expect it to fail, but we don't know exactly how. So as we run it and we learn how, the people right there at the front line doing the work and their leaders will need to see what the problems are and then one by one repair those problems. Uh, so they have this andon where you pull a cord and light goes on. And the purpose of the andon is not, I'm in trouble, I might lose my leg, or I'm in trouble, this car might be a quality disaster. But it's like, I dropped a part, that's out of standard, pull the cord. I'm two seconds late, pull the cord. I have to reach across the car to install this part, pull the cord. So anything that's out of standard, you pull the cord. A team leader comes, then later the team leader is supposed to uh, figure out what the biggest problems occurred on the shift and then pick one and solve it. And that's continuous improvement. So uh, at the front line, they're detecting problems, real problems every day and they're solving those problems. So the fourth P is problem solving. So they have to not only be motivated to pay attention and notice what the problem is, but they also have to develop the skill of problem solving, which Toyota, in the original Toyota production system documents called scientific thinking. And they want them to understand what actually happened, what were the conditions that caused this problem, what was the root cause. They want them to try alternative solutions and then pick the best solution that works based on data, evidence, and then that becomes the new standard. So right at the front line, they have to think scientifically. 
But that doesn't end there. Every manager has a bigger responsibility. So if I'm the manager of the stamping department, I have goals for the year for improvement in quality and productivity and cost and safety and morale. And Toyota wants them to scientifically, using data and evidence and investigating the problem and finding the root cause, they want them to continually be solving problems to reach these goals. So there's no quick fix where you just say, well, you know, the problem is that we're not productive enough because we have people doing the job. Let's buy some robots. <laughs> That's never going to go over well in Toyota. They're going to say, why are we going to buy a robot? You know, what is wrong with the people that they can't do the job? What's the wrong with the way you design the jobs? First, figure out how to make the people more productive. Then we'll see if there's a need for the robots. And often there's not once they uh, have figured out how to do the job very efficiently with the people. So uh, there's no like easy way out just by buying things. You have to solve the real problems. So that's built into the Toyota culture. And there's also an understanding that if you're a boss, if you're responsible for somebody, your job is not just to be their boss and tell them what to do. Your job is to develop them. And one of the main things you want to develop is their problem-solving capability, their scientific thinking capability. So if they have a problem and they come to you and the boss and said, you know, I got this problem and we have parts missing and that means we have to stop the line. Can you solve that, boss? The boss is going to say, can you solve it? You know, this is your job and it's your parts. Uh, do you know why that occurred? Do you know why we're missing parts? Now I'm in a coaching position. I, as a boss, probably am better equipped, but based on more years of experience in problem solving, I have a higher position so I can more easily get people to follow my orders. Uh, I might be in a better position to solve the problem. But if I solve the problem, then my subordinates are not going to learn and develop. So I'm going to push them to solve the problem. And I'm going to allow them to uh, have to waste time to you know to try ideas that I I'm pretty sure won't work. So I'm going to allow them to struggle, and it's going to take them longer. But what I'm doing is building a capability, and at all levels that takes place. If you were to uh, want to be an engineer there, you'd be assigned an en a senior engineer, and the senior engineer would treat you the same way. And the way Teichiona, the creator of the Toyota production system, would train people would say, stand in a circle and just look. That's the first assignment. Just stand in the circle and look, and you, know, you think, how long am I going to be here? 10 minutes, 15 minutes? It's the entire day. You never leave the circle for the day except to go to the bathroom or maybe get, a, get at lunch. And then he would just ask you what you thought, and he would grunt and moan and say, look some more, and you knew that you weren't seeing what you're supposed to see. And finally, by the end of the day, he'd say, good, you're done, go home. But he was trying to teach you just a fundamental skill, which is to really observe the process in all its variations. Mm and all the different problems that occur, then he might ask you to come up with ideas for improvement. He might say, come up with 15 ideas for improvement, and uh, you have to do it right, right off the top of your head. So these were just challenging things he would do, and then he would give you a project and he'd give you a big challenge. We have 10 people doing this job. Your challenge is to do the same work with the same people with uh, five people instead of 10. You've got six weeks to do it. Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognize your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes, and future plans. Whether you utilize lean, Six Sigma project management, or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 13-time single prize winner Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. 
You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere? Listening to some consultant. When you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves. Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. You're going to think, what is this guy talking about, right? But do you know what this reminds me of? What? Do you remember the uh, the film from the 1980s, The Karate Kid? Right. Mr. Miyagi. Right. When when Daniel wants to learn how to do karate, he doesn't send him to this karate school. He teaches him to paint the fence and to wax the uh, car and uh, sand the deck. Right. Because he's learning the movement. He makes him do it for like 10 hours a day. Right. And at the end of the day, he's like, why have I been doing this all day? And then he says, now show me, paint the fence. And he throws a punch and he blocks it because he's painting the fence. Exactly. <laughs> so those, so what he was in karate, that those are, each of those movements are called kata. And painting the fence is a certain movement of your arm and actually can become a defensive posture, for example, hitting up when somebody's trying to hit you and hitting their hand away by hitting up on it. So he was teaching kata. And if you are in the martial arts, you have to master one kata after another after another. For each one, you have to work on it repetitively until you master it and it becomes natural and you just do it right without thinking. And then you learn the next kata and the next kata and the next kata. They even have international competitions for judging how well people do kata. And you win awards based on doing like 15 kata and there's judges and all that. So Mike Rother was one of my students. He's a graduate student. He, along with me, for example, he worked on Ford on this uh, consulting project. And he, along with me, was learning the Toyota production system. He was much more hands-on. Like I would be with the management, and I'd be creating training courses, and he'd be on the factory floor working and improving processes. And he really enjoyed it, and uh, he was really good at it. But he got to a point where he realized that when he left, the improvement would stop. And he asked the question, what can I leave behind besides these technical changes, like setting up a cell so it's like one-piece flow instead of batch building? And he uh, finally came to the conclusion that what they have in Toyota, that these plants he's working with, these are non-Toyota plants, that these plants don't have, is people who have learned problem solving. So he was giving them tools, but it wasn't even clear what problem they were trying to solve with the tools. And they were just doing what he told them to do. And he wanted them to think for themselves. So he decided that he needed to be more like Taichi Ono, like a trainer rather than a doer who did it for them. But he also realized that the Toyota trainers learn naturally from their bosses in Toyota. And they couldn't even explain what they did or how they did it or why. He needed a kind of a packaged, structured approach that he could share with people and say, this is something you can do. Here's the reason why. Here are the tools. Do it this way. What he needed were kata. What were the kata for problem solving, which he called scientific thinking? So problem solving, he didn't like the problem solving term, even though that's what they use in Toyota. He didn't like that as much because it gives the impression that you're just fixing broken things. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the biggest contributions you can make through continuous improvement are to achieve levels of performance that you've never achieved before in quality and on-time delivery and features of a, of a product, designing software so that the use, it's very intuitive to the user. So you're trying to develop something new or you're trying to improve what you have, but in the direction of a goal you've never achieved before. So it becomes aspirational rather than just fixing things in the current state. So he came up with the idea of the improvement kata, which is the scientific model for improving toward a very difficult goal when you don't know how to achieve it. There's uncertainty, but you have to, to break down that complex skill into little pieces and then teach each piece, each kata one by one. So he came up with a model that has four pieces. One of them is setting the direction. What is the goal? What is the target? What is the overall outcome you're looking for? The next is understanding the current condition, and he has process observation methods to observe the process and observe cycles of the process and understand deviations and variation. And uh, So he has some very simple intuitive methods for understanding where we are today and where are their weak points and where their opportunities. Then when you understand where you want to go and where you are, then he says, don't try to go in one step to the solution, like I'll buy a robot or I'll outsource this. 
come up with a small goal, something you can do quickly and cheaply, and he suggests using one-week target conditions, he calls them. So it's a short-term target. So if I wanted to lose 15 pounds and you said, good, go do it. What am I going to work on? What am I going to focus on? But if you, you ask me, so what do you think, what is your current condition? Well, the current condition is I, at 10 o'clock at night, when I'm tired, I eat junk food. Well, maybe my first target condition is to eliminate junk food. And I'm going to try to do that by next Tuesday. But, you know, I don't really understand all the reasons why I have junk food or how to eliminate the junk food. I might could just throw it out of the house, but uh, there's some reason I eat it at night. So then the fourth step is run experiments. You know, why do you eat junk food? Well, it's easily available. What can you do about that? Well, maybe I can hide it in a closet. All right, try it. See what happens. Then you start to just try things. And then after you try things, then the coach would say, so what happened? Well, I knew they were in the closet, so I found them anyway. <laughs> so what did you learn from that? Well, simply hiding the junk food isn't enough. So what are you going to try next? Uh, I'm going to get the junk food out of the house. And then what happened when you tried that? Well, I ran to the convenience store. It's just a block <laughs> up the road. Bull, bull. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the point is that you, through really trial and error, by running these experiments, you'll eventually get to the target condition. Then you'll say, all right, you now are not eating junk food. And, and I noticed I've lost a half pound in the last week. What is your next target condition? So it's these short-term goals, which there's a lot of research evidence are much more motivating when it's short-term, when it's practical, it's something I could visualize very easily that means something to me personally, then I'm going to be more motivated to achieve it. And that's true whether you're learning sports or you're learning uh, music or, you know, so my guitar teacher, I play classical guitar, my guitar teacher doesn't say, here's a piece of music, learn to play it. They'll say, here's a simple piece of music. What I want you to learn is you've learned the first position on the neck of the guitar. This is in the fifth position. So this is an opportunity for you to learn the notes in the fifth position. And then he shows it to me and I start playing it. And then he says, work on this at home, practice this. And then in my next lesson, I show him what I've done and he makes corrections and then decides whether I should go on or not. So that way of teaching is natural when we're learning any complex skill outside of work. But ask a manager, when was the last time you got trained in how to do anything, actively listen, solve problems, deal with a performance review? When was the last time you actually got several different, you know, the, bro the problem is broken down into pieces and you got to try the pieces, see what happens, learn from each piece, get better and better until you can pre perform a good performance review. Has that ever happened in your life? And nobody will tell you that that's happened. You know, so we are really good at training our kids in skills for their hobbies. And we're really bad at training managers who are doing real work. It's so true. Do I feel for your guitar teacher, it must be an absolute nightmare trying to coach and teach Dr. Jeffrey Leica, because you'll be sitting there thinking about how he's doing it. And you'll be like, no, that's the wrong approach. You need no, to break no, no, this down no, a bit no. more. <laughs> he's, my guitar teacher is very experienced and very good. And I'm very humble because uh, unlike the young students, I, I don't learn as fast and my hands don't do what I want them to do. And uh, it's very humbling to learn a skill, you know, particularly as an adult, that you've, yeah. uh, you know, it's easy to talk about it and it's easy to imagine yourself doing it when you actually try to do it. That's when the rubber meets the road and when you discover your weaknesses. Yeah. You know, I've dabbled with the guitar over the years and I've always wanted to learn to play the intro to uh, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to learn. I'd be happy with my life if I could just learn that one intro. There's videos that break that down and teach you how to do it on youtube unfortunately as i'm getting older um i'm 40 this year uh in, in actually next week wow you're an old man retirement in your country yet? i was thinking actually right when, when you were talking before about when you started i was born in 83 and i think you said that you started your um your role at the university in 81 or 82 82, yeah. <laughs> Here before you were born. Yeah. Here before I was born. That's good because you was doing all the work, like learning all of these processes and, and creating all this stuff for me when I got older to be able to learn it. Right. You was setting me up. That's what it was all about. <laughs> so the kata is about people development. And what Mike figured out is the kind of the core skill for improve for continuous improvement is scientific thinking, is being able to, in a very clear way, describe your goal in a very clear way, understand. The current condition and the, the key levers that you can pull 
to improve the process, then starting to not deploy solutions that you're guessing at, but rather testing ideas one by one and proving that they work or proving that they don't work and learning from each experiment so that the next experiment is better and the next experiment is better. And that's essentially what they teach at Toyota without using that vocabulary of experiments and target conditions and and even scientific thinking. They talk about problem solving. So I do a masterclass on lean leadership with the Toyota plant in the UK, and you're in Neck of the Woods. And they now mention Kata when they do their presentations, but not because they know. They learned it from me. They didn't learn it from Toyota. Interested. They say, well, Jeff Michael will talk about Kata, and that's essentially what we're talking about here. Made a name for yourself. Well, they when I explained it to them, they say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, first I mentioned Kata, and if they had karate background, they say, well, that's in karate. What does that have to do with problem solving or with uh, making cars? And then I explain it to them, and they say, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. But it does make sense, though. When you talk about it, and I think now about that approach, it makes so much sense. Because as an individual, you learn about yourself and you learn more about the process by going through that learning experience, by breaking it down. The analogy you gave of losing the weight is such a good example. Because if if you just took the junk food out the house straight away and didn't buy any more, you're probably going to go and buy more. Like you said, you're going to nip down to the store and buy more. But by hiding it and going through that initial process, it's creating that willpower. It's creating that knowledge about how you think and, and how the lengths you will go to to find that junk food. Right, right. It's very interesting. It's- I would assign, I had a graduate, graduate course for master's students in industrial engineering where they use the kata for the whole semester on projects with industry. But for... Uh, First step, I asked them just to pick a problem at home in their life, and I taught them, you know, taught them the method and I asked them to try it. One group, there were four guys living together, and it was a disaster to do laundry because they would all put it off, and then they'd have these duffel bags full of laundry, and they'd all want to be doing the laundry <laughs> all at one time, and the dryer couldn't fit all the laundry. So they figured out how they could do laundry, a little laundry every day using this method, and it, it worked. And then it, they could relate to that. They're engineering students, but they didn't have a lot of experience working in automobile industry or in manufacturing, but they understood that you have to do laundry. So are there any specific challenges or obstacles that organizations commonly face when implementing the Toyota Cutter, and how can they be overcome? Okay, so first of all, the uh, what I told, talked about, about General Motors, the equipment is in the center and people are sort of, uh, they have to be there versus Toyota viewing people as in the center and viewing people as we need to develop them. We need to develop their way of thinking. Their way. So that idea that we need to invest in developing people is not a strong part of our management culture in many companies. That's the biggest obstacle. Single biggest obstacle is that companies will say we want continuous improvement. We want employees engaged. We've done a survey and our, our engagement scores are very low and we want to improve them. But when you say what you need to do is to, to develop them and talking about that book, Giving Wings to a Team, that's about learning how to coach. It, as managers, you need to learn how to coach people so that they're motivated, so that they learn the actual skill by doing it repeatedly until it's a habit. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some of your time as a manager. And you're not going to necessarily see a payoff on day one. Then there's resistance. There's, you know, then there's sort of question marks. I'll give you an example. I will get requests for bid sent to me. Like a company will say, we need this service and my name will come up and I'll get a bid package. And one company sent me a bid package and they had learned about Toyota Kata. It happened to a Japanese company that was overseas uh, in Europe and the United States. And they had several thousand employees and they had liked the idea of the Kata. They had read Mike Rother's book. What they wanted to quote on is how can we train thousands of people in this Kata using an online training program? They wanted you know, the, whoever won the bid to develop the online training program. So I responded, you don't understand. The whole idea of the kata is to perform the skill over and over again until it becomes a habit. You don't do that by listening to people talk at you on your computer. Uh, You're like destroying the whole concept from the beginning. You're going to lose. And of course, that meant that they found a different vendor (laughs) who gave them exactly (laughs) what they wanted. But that mentality that you could just have a person plug into their computer watch videos, learn the words, learn the four steps, see an example, and then you say, good, you saw it, now do it, is very widespread. 
you can use very simple analogies like I also play golf. And if you watched anybody who's never played golf before try to hit a ball, it's comical. <laughs> they could barely get the club to touch the ball. Or if they, club, they hit the ball and it goes like five feet and it just dies. And there's, you know, there's a lot of skill involved. Now, if that person's struggling to hit the ball and I show them a video of Tiger Woods playing golf, are they suddenly going to be able to hit the ball? Yeah, absolutely. It's true. But that's what we're doing with these, these online courses. Watch it, see it, now do it. No excuses. And then we're going to evaluate you on how well you do it. So that just that mindset that developing people in real skills actually does involve doing something hands-on, trying it, and then doing enough repetitions that it starts to become muscle memory, like the Karate Kid. You know that idea is uh, beyond the typical human resource department and, and training program and all that. So it's it becomes a bit alien. So Toyota calls training is on-the-job development. So when you learn problem solving in Toyota, you actually work on a problem and you have a coach and the coach is mentoring you. So that idea is built into their culture. So then for, for them, if you say, well, here's a better way to teach your coaches, they might be interested or they might say, well, we already have a way, but they're already doing it. But that culture of managers being coaches who are every day finding opportunities to train their people by observing them, by giving them feedback, by letting them try something in a different way. That's really what you need for the kata to work. So the kata is a way to do that. You know, if the company at least is serious enough that they say, well, you know, we'll bring some people in, consultants in, uh, we want to learn this stuff. What I would do is I would start with a pilot project and I would particularly start with a few managers, get them to the shop floor if it was a factory, give them a fairly repetitive, simple process to improve. And I would teach them the steps and for each step I would ask them to do it. And then coach them usually over several weeks, at least. It's even better if it's several months, so that they now understand. They say, oh, I see. This would really help if my people learn this. Well, now, Mr. Manager, you're going to be the coach next. It'll be the train the trainer. But the train the trainer is not just a lecture in a conference room or a simulation that you do in a few hours, but it's actually a real project that you have to coach the person. Learn by doing, isn't it? Learn by doing very natural in Toyota, but it's not so natural in these other companies. And the challenge is, from my experience of, of working in organizations on, on a global scale, so I'm not just talking about the UK, is that they're all very short-term focused and they want right. to get the results immediately. Right. And it sounds like the Toyota Cutter takes time to develop and to get the results. Companies need to be patient. How do you get them to be patient? I don't know. If you know, I <laughs> <laughs> If you don't know, no one knows. I have enough trouble uh, not offending my wife and kids <laughs> when I suggest things to them. They feel like I'm trying to control them. I don't, I mean, we're trying, we're, you're fundamentally trying to change a person's personality yeah. and what they've learned over their whole career. So if I'm in a position where we're brought in by senior management as consultants and they ask us to do work in an area of a plant or an area of an organization, uh, we've worked with all sorts of organizations, call centers, all sorts of uh, service organizations, mining in Australia, all sorts of different situations. What we find is that as soon as we actually do something real, if we're talking about lean, if we're talking about to the production system, like I remember in the mining case in Australia, they had no idea what we're talking about. We're talking about making cars and how that relates to blowing up things and finding iron ore and digging out the iron ore and and putting out of the configures and they can make no couldn't not make a relationship a link but then we said all right you know these are the concepts let's go on a ride let's uh see what happens when you give these orders to go to this part of the mine and do mining and we would drive with the drivers and we'd watch them blast and then we'd say ask what do you see and the managers were surprised by how chaotic and disorganized it was then we would say, what are you trying to achieve? You know, if you're, they wanted more flow through the mine. They wanted more iron ore coming out of the mine more quickly. We're trying to achieve more iron ore coming out of the mine. So what are some of the barriers and obstacles you see to that? Anyway, the point is once they got involved with their actual situation and they're analyzing it and they had some way of documenting it, drawing it on a diagram, then, they, then we asked them, so how would you measure success? What would it look like? And then they started to uh, make changes in the yard 
once they got engaged, they were just engaged. They're hooked. And that has happened hundreds of times when we work with all sorts of different companies and industries is that, I mean, it sounds silly, but the way to engage people is to engage them. Yeah. You don't engage them by talking about engagement. Yeah. You need to involve them. <laughs> you have to get them to do something that, that's interesting to them and look at it from a different point of view. Usually people are just so busy doing their jobs during the day and reacting that they don't step back to analyze you know, much of anything. So if you give them a way of analyzing their job and seeing the waste, you had mentioned that you had done work where you would give them a waste. You'd ask them, find one waste. Yeah. And then for that one waste, come up with an idea for improvement. And you gave them, these are seven wastes, find one of these. So you gave them a framework, a simple framework of seven wastes, asked them to find a waste. And you didn't say, go and find a hundred wastes because that would be overwhelming. You said, find one. So that's very typical of the Toyota way. Get them to focus on something and improve it. And then their confidence will grow. Mm. Their interest will grow. And particularly if you're keeping score, if you have some sort of metric to keep score, and that becomes like playing a video game. We don't have any problem engaging people and getting motivated once we get in. It's just getting in. It's getting in. And then once we have success, then a problem that we've had is that the senior management that brought us in says, we like that. You did it on a small scale in one place. Now I want you to spread that across the company. And you know how many months is it going to take to do that? Well, we've just spent three months in this one place. <laughs> And we developed these people and now they could do it because we developed them, not because we just showed them the tools and, and implemented it for them. It, they had to struggle. They had to learn. Uh, so what we need is for the rest of your people to struggle and learn. But then they want to just deploy it like a toolkit yeah. and spread it everywhere. And that's another obstacle is, you know, the patients will last for only so long. And there's kind of like a honeymoon period. And then when the honeymoon ends, they want results now. Mm, that's the problem. So that that's a problem. So that, you know that's why I call long-term thinking the foundation of the Toyota way. And if you're dealing with people who are not long-term thinking, and you know they're under pressure, and the manager I'm dealing with has a boss who's not long-term thinking, and they have a boss who's not long-term thinking, and following the CEO, who's the, the all-powerful CEO, he's reporting to board of directors, and they're pushing them for quarterly results. Now, there's a lot of companies that have gone beyond that. Like I, in this course I do in the UK, I bring in somebody from AstraZeneca in Sweden. And AstraZeneca is a company that actually has begun to think very long term about satisfying patients and getting their medicines in the hands of patients, more patients, more quickly, more efficiently at a lower cost. And they have made significant investments in developing leaders. So there's companies doing this where somehow the, the top leadership have become convinced and committed to a long-term vision for their organization that includes people, not just profits and, and uh, pushing product out the door. When I find a company like that, then it's a delight to work with them. Right, I have a delight for you and a problem for you, Jeff. Yeah. I'm gonna introduce you to the yes-no game. Okay. Now, this is, a, this is one of my favorite little tipples, this is. So basically, I'm gonna fire you questions and you need to answer me, but you cannot say yes or no. So it's a bit of a trick. So I'm going to try and get you to say yes or no, and you've got to try not say it. Okay. <laughs> as easy as that. Now, I've got three cards in front of me, and I'm going to give you the option of card number one, card number two, or card number three. And this is what your questions are going to be based on the subject matter. Okay. So card number two. Everyone always chooses number two. You're about the fourth person in a row. Well, it's either the extremes or the middle, and I tend to be a middle Yeah, person. you're in the middle. So card number two is American cars. Poor quality that's become <laughs> pretty good quality. You can say time. that because you didn't say yes or no. So that would count. That would be a yeah. good answer. So the next thing you're going to hear is the music starting. Let's see if you can last the 60 seconds. That's the challenge. Right. I have 60 seconds ready and loaded. Jeff, you can say anything you want, but not yes or no. Name three American car models. Ford Escort, a Plymouth Voyager, and a Dodge Charger. What is your favorite one of those three? I don't like any of them. <laughs> they just came <laughs> to my mind. Do American car manufacturers produce electric vehicles? Yes. It's hard, isn't it? It's really yeah. hard. It's yeah. a real Especially challenge. Like a, 
Yeah. It's like red light, green light, or Simon says. It, yeah, exactly. It's just like Simon says. That's a really good. I've never thought of it like that. It's exactly what it's like. There's been worse. Thanks. <laughs> Not the worst. Before I let you shoot off, um, tell us about your new novel that is, uh, I think it's actually available now, isn't it? Giving Wings to Her Team. It sounds fascinating. Well, when Mike Rother was creating this idea of Toyota Kata, now Mike was steeped in the Toyota way and he had been working in various operations, various companies to improve things. So he knew that you don't just come up with an idea and then just try to sell it. You have to test it. You have to prove it. You have to do the research. So he spent five years trying out these ideas in factories. It turned out he's, his father is German and he speaks German fluently and he has an apartment in Germany. So he found five German companies that agreed to pay him as a consultant to experiment and develop Toyota Cod in their factories. And one of those factories, uh, the plant manager was Thilo Schwartz. And Thilo became what they call a Kata geek. He just loves Kata. Mike has a Kata for coaching, which is called the five question card. There's five questions like, what is your target condition? What's your current condition? What experiment did you run last? And uh, Tilo Schwartz said, we need to expand on that. That's not enough for coaching to just ask the question. People may give you a bad answer and then what do you do? So he developed 20 micro skills to deal with bad answers, like ask for the target condition, but I get the challenge and solutions in, the, in their answer and I have to redirect them with a question, not by telling them the answer. He developed these 20 micro skills, and then he developed a blog with this woman named Denise, and he would give examples of how she learned the micro skills. And at some point, somebody suggested he put these blogs together and write a book, which he did. He's German, so he's, he wanted to be in English, and it's not his name, first language, and he wanted to be more like a novel, and it was written a little bit more like an engineering document. So he, through Mike Rother, uh, Mike connected us up and said, Jeff's a good writer. Maybe the two of you can do something with this. So uh, he and I collaborated on writing a novel, an interesting, entertaining novel that gripped the reader, where Denise learns first what kata is, then she learns how to become a good kata coach, and she solves a big problem in her company, and uh, big problems in her personal relationships, uh, romantic relationships. And she learns this from a trainer at a gym uh, where she goes to train and train her body every day. And it all sort of comes together for, for Denise. But you get to see how she learns in little bite-sized pieces, actually confronting a problem. And she doesn't know what to do. And she talks to Maggie, her personal trainer, who's learned kata. And uh, she gives her advice and she goes back, she tries it and that works. But then she runs into the next problem, the next problem. And over the course of the book, she becomes quite a good kata coach. So a lot of the concepts that we talk about that seem kind of abstract become real in the context of this story. And you're rooting for Denise and you're saying, yeah, yeah, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now I understand why they say we should do that. What a brilliant way of conveying information. It's so unique. It sounds really interesting. Um, I'm definitely going to give it a read. Where can people find it? Where is it available? The one I know the best is Amazon. You know, Amazon has global reach, and now you can get it through Amazon in various countries. I gave you the link to the UK version. You did. Uh, Rootledge, Rootledge Press published it, and R-O-U-T-L-E-D-G-E. Rootledge has a website, and they also sell it, but I think the price is the same as Amazon. And you can buy the Kindle version, or you can buy the... The other thing we put into it is a little technology. Uh, Tilo was really kind of disappointed because I kept on cutting his favorite stuff that I thought was too technical. So what we end up doing is putting in QR codes. So if you want more information about this coaching kata method, you look with your your phone in the photo part and you'll then touch it and it'll bring you to the website that'll explain more information about what you just read. That's amazing. What a great idea. Very modern. Yeah, that's very, uh, yeah, very techy. But it works. Yeah. And uh, you know, for those who are geeky enough to want to go beyond just reading the book and you know, get some of the backstory and more, more detail, it's, it's all intuitive. It's all like cartoonish sort of pictures, not elaborate technical diagrams. It sounds brilliant. Um, I'll pop a link to the Amazon version down in the um, summary below so people can see it in the description and, and link straight to it. And if people want to learn more about the Toyota way or more about the work that you're doing with the Toyota Kata, where can they go? Have you got a website they can check out? I have my website is called likerleanadvisors.com. 
And then if you Google Mike Rother, you'll get his website. And his website is filled with everything you need to know about Kata for free. So this question card I mentioned, you download the question card. This process analysis method, it's described there in the forms you use or there and you download them for free. And there's PowerPoint presentations and there's a puzzle game that you can play that demonstrates the Kata. And he has all the instructions and you can buy the 15 piece puzzle and you, you just follow the instructions of the PowerPoint slides and you can run this with a group of people. And it's all there for free. Free! Nothing's free these days. And he, by design, his, his goal is just to push it out there, push it out there. So he, everything's free. He even likes people like Tilo Schwartz. He set up Tilo Schwartz in business. He doesn't ask for any percentage of the revenue back. He just sets up people in business and gives them whatever he creates. He just gives it to them because he just How wants wonderful. to get it out. At this point in his life, he's just interested in making an impact and getting it out there. But I've done the same thing. I've taken copyrights off of all my PowerPoint slides. Have you really? Yeah, I've somehow, you know, just <laughs> logically speaking, when I think about it, I think, if I'm going to lose a job because somebody has my free PowerPoint slides and can use them, them <laughs> I'm not worth bringing over. Yes. I'm not worth paying. <laughs> Fair point. It's a good way of thinking about it. <laughs> uh, well, I will put in the description below links to your web, your website, Mike's website, and also for the book on Amazon because I'd like people to buy it because I think it's absolutely amazing. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. You've been an absolutely awesome wisdom of knowledge i've really enjoyed i do want to play that game again and do better will we record it no one will know (laughs) (laughs) thanks jeff some key takeaways then from today's fascinating conversation with jeff you can sign up online to do a tour at a toyota plant and see exactly what it's like sounds like a fantastic learning experience and something i'm definitely going to be looking into Toyota train their people by doing. They assign them a coach and they let them learn the job. This supports creating a sustainable culture. It sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, but it's not something that we do very often. Incredible. Jeff was talking about how the Toyota way talks about the 4P model. Philosophy, which is long-term scientific thinking, thinking about it as a social and technical system with the people at the centre. The second P is process. One piece flow. That's what you're looking for. That's where you use lean. One piece flow. The third P is people. Observe the process to see where it fails. A process is never perfect. We know it will fail. We expect it to fail, but we need to learn how. People see these. They pull the and on and they find solutions to the problem. Absolutely brilliant. And the fourth P is problem solving. Scientific thinking, understand what happened, what were the conditions that caused the problem, and what was the root cause. Then try alternative solutions and pick the best solution based on data and evidence. And that becomes the new standard. Each manager in Toyota has yearly targets on quality and productivity. They must think scientifically to solve real problems. And a boss is there to develop their people in problem solving. A boss is in a coaching position. At all levels, they allow teams to struggle and effectively waste time to solve problems as this builds a capability. Stand in a circle, watch, observe a process to understand the real variation. Now, kata comes from martial arts, as Jeff was explaining, learning movements repeatedly until they're mastered, repeatable and without thinking. This is kata, master one kata at a time. Now, Toyota culture is built on people being taught problem solving, practice, practice, practice. Jeff spoke about it so many times today. Now, the Toyota kata itself is scientific thinking targeting achieving levels of performance never seen before, developing something new or to achieve an aspirational goal. The improvement cutter is a scientific model for improving towards a very difficult goal where there's uncertainty. This is broken down into four pieces or four cutters. Set direction, that's your goal, your target. What is the outcome that you're looking for? The second one is understand the current condition, Process observation methods, understand cycles, deviations, variations, where are the opportunities? 
When you understand what you want to do, don't try and go to the end solution in one step. Set small goals, something you can do quickly and cheaply, setting one-week target conditions. And then the fourth part is run experiments. Try things and see what happens. Learn from what happens, then try something else. Trial and error will eventually get you to the target condition. It's all about short-term goals, motivating, practical, and visualize what that means. Kata is all about people development. Core skill is scientific thinking. Describe your goal, understand your current condition, what levers to pull, and improve the process. Don't deploy solutions that are guessing. Rather, test ideas one by one, proving what works and what doesn't work, learning from it. And what was really interesting, when I asked Jeff about the challenges, he said, by far the biggest challenge to this approach is having a management culture that is invested in developing their people and learn to coach. Managers look for opportunities to train and coach their teams in problem solving. It's all hands-on. It takes time. It's a long-term payoff. And this can cause resistance at senior level. It's not an online learning process. Jeff gave this analogy and it was brilliant. Think about playing golf. You won't hit the ball like Tiger Woods just by watching a video of Tiger Woods hitting a ball. It takes a hands-on approach with enough repetition that it becomes like muscle memory. That is kata. And finally, I'm going to leave you with an absolute corker. The best way to engage people is to engage them. Create a focus for them to improve. It grows confidence and it grows motivation. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Jeff. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Celine podcast. Thanks so much to Dr. Jeffrey Leica for joining us today, giving us the inside scoop into Toyota Cutter, really helping us understand with some great real life examples. Um, and also hearing about the Toyota mindset, it's just fascinating. And and the, the way that they think differently has really got me thinking. Hopefully it has done you as well. And, and you can influence your organizations to think in a different way. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Everseline podcast at everseline.com. We'll also find episodes that you might have missed. If you can, please take a moment to like and review the podcast as well on the platform that you listened on. I'll be extremely grateful and your views mean so much to me and I really do appreciate each and every one. If you're on the socials, search for the Everseline podcast, give us a like and a follow and let me know about your lean efforts because I really would love to hear all about them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Everseline, you know it makes sense. The Everseline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everseline.com to find out more. Yeah.